Guys, before Frank and I start the show, I've got to tell you about Earth's Brew. Go beyond alcohol to a state of relaxation and mental clarity and get in the present. Earth's Brew is a drink for the modern age of better nutrition, better fitness, and better knowledge that helps you tackle life with a calm, clear-minded confidence that can take you to the next level. The next evolution is here. Get in the present with Earth's Brew. And right now, folks, for phone booth fighting listeners exclusively, the creators of Earth's Brew have created a discount for our listeners. Go to earthsbrew.com, enter the promo code PHONEBOOTH, and receive 10% off all orders at checkout. A plant-based, alcohol-free way to relax that both Frank and myself enjoy immensely. Let Earth's Brew know that you appreciate them supporting the Phone Booth Fighting podcast Uh, the product created by a couple of loyal listeners just like yourself. Visit earthsbrew.com, enter the promo code PHONEBOOTH, receive 10% off at checkout, and let them know that Frank and I sent you. It's Phone Booth Fighting. Myself, Richard Hunter, and that guy to my right, the two-time UFC heavyweight champion of the world, Frank Mir from deep inside the Frank Mir family bunker uh, here in suburban Las Vegas. Uh, Frank, we're, we're just right on the verge. I mean, we are getting ever so uh, closer to streaming this thing week in and week out uh, with, a, with a live video feed. And uh, we're we're doing a little impromptu beta testing on Facebook, so just know that we're uh, we're in the bunker. the uh, the The walls are being adorned with the uh, the soundproof tiling. The phone booth fighting three foot by three foot logo has gone up over your left shoulder. We've moved furniture in. We're going to be equipped to uh, have guests in here. How's it feeling so far? It's starting to actually come around. I can't believe it. So. I know. Feels pretty good. Last right? night when we were doing some of the stuff, I was actually kind of uh, taken back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I showed up uh, last night. You know, one thing you want to do when uh, your your best buddy has uh, just gotten back from flying uh, halfway around the world is, uh, is is show up with a toolbox and keep him up late uh, while he's got jet lag. But yeah, we had a little we had a little design work to do. Drysdale BJJ, uh, that stands for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, if you don't know. Robert Drysdale's place where uh, you and I both train, Frank. You know, he's got a virtual academy going as well. If you're not uh, so fortunate as uh, we are to live in the Las Vegas area and be able to train live with him. So uh, what you do is uh, go to uh, phoneboothfighting.com. That's our website. Click on the sponsor link, and uh, you'll see Robert Drysdale's uh, logo right there, and you enter the uh, corresponding promo code, and you'll get a discount off of monthly or yearly memberships to his online academy. And I know that they're also offering a deal right now, Frank. Uh, if you do an annual membership, you get a free Venom Gi. I was wearing my free Venom Gi last night on the mats at uh, Drysdale. They're good so I'm geese, enjoying right? it. I, it's a great Gi. It's nice and light. I, it's, like it, I need light. I'll let you in on a little secret. And uh, hopefully nobody that is uh, out there listening is ever going to roll with me because then they're going to take advantage of this. But I, I need to be 
uh, light and kind of uh, as unclaustrophobic as I can be in the material and, and all that. Do you know, I don't even like, see, okay, here's, I haven't asked you about this yet. I noticed everybody at Drysdale's, I don't know if this is just coincidence or not, everybody's doing like a t-shirt or a rash guard underneath their gi. Is it really? It's a rule of the gym. Really? Is there? Is it like a health thing? Yeah, sanitation purposes. Yeah, you know, the ghee opens up, skin to skin, kind of. You know, okay, makes sense. Just helps. I mean, obviously, the ghee is absorbing a lot of sweat already. Yeah, and just you know, the less sweat, you know, the more that it can be absorbed on you, and not yeah. so much on your partners and on the mat. You know, just okay. Well, that makes sense. Everybody's uh, ready to wear like a rash guard and stuff underneath. Yeah. See, I can do a t-shirt. I, I'm used to not wearing. Uh, anything under there because also I like to be sexy. I didn't really start doing that to them. Yeah. Yeah. Before that, I never wore anything yeah. underneath. I mean, people head. are missing out on the physique, you know, and I hate to deprive anybody of that. Well, but these are so hot, especially here in Vegas. I want less material. That's the thing. And see, I can go T-shirt. I can't go rash guard under there because that really feels constrictive to me, but I can uh, do a T-shirt. Okay. That do you wear the sense. tight rash guard or the looser ones? You know what? I like a rash guard to be really loose. In yeah, fact, uh, 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 Lionel over at Leal Optics, who's, who's been a great sponsor of ours as well, uh, sent me a Leal Optics rash guard, and he was looking at, you know, he's like, what do you weigh, about 170? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, uh, he goes, okay, well, I'll send you a medium. And I'm like, try 2XL. Like, I like it to be not hanging off of me, but kind of loose. Somewhere. I like that too. Plus... For grappling purposes, I think arms stick in there better if the materials mm-hmm. kind of suctions around. You know, what I mean, it's kind of like walking across the surface of a uh, a sheet. If everybody pulls it tight, it's not you know. But if it's loose, you kind of sink into it, and then it. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I like in a rash guard. Is what? By the way, you know, uh, people have been at. We need before we get into items of the day here. Uh, we need a merchandise item for summer. We've got, you're wearing the second edition of the Phone Booth Fighting t-shirt. Uh, the first one, of course, is our uh, cartoon logo. Uh, both of these uh, were uh, designed by Boss Creations, a uh, great artist over in the UK did these for us. But uh, we need a summer merchandise item, and I'm looking for suggestions. Maybe people can submit them through our Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page. But um, some people have asked for a rash guard. We think. Oh. I think that could be a fun idea. No, actually, it's probably the best idea. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a really good idea. Hold that just now that you've taken the mic off the stand just a little. There you go. Split right the now. difference. Yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm not being fair to you because I didn't give you headphones. So we're we're str- I'm stringing cords all over the <laughs> phone booth fighting bunker, and I don't have a pair of headphones for Frank. Ah, no worries. So, uh, yeah. So rash it was, guard. It was not natural speaking off the boomsticks. Okay. I had to go how we always record, right? Just have it in my That's hand. fine. Whatever's comfortable. Um, so I, I went, so rash guard, I think we could do, do you think, uh, what do you think about a tank top for summer? Some people have asked about that. Do you ever do tank tops? No, I usually make fun of guys in tank tops. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. How about that? Then we'll do a tank top and then Frank will make fun of you. That'll be the, that'll be our, our, look at this douche. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, that's the promise. At least you're wearing my shirt. You're a decent douchebag. What we, here's, here's the offer we'll make. If we do a tank top. Then the deal will be that uh, uh, if you if you post a photo online of you wearing our phone booth fighting tank top, Frank will personally leave a disparaging comment. How about that? <laughs> That'd be funny. All right. I know we'll at least sell one to Cowboy Cerrone. He likes tank tops. He wears tank tops to like media day. 
That's how much he loves tank tops. No suit for him. Yeah, jeans and a... <laughs> yeah, and a, and a bolo tie and a tank top or something like that. All right, uh, very good. And, of course, real water. Get real at drinkrealwater.com. They keep us hydrated by the caseload. And uh, you can find out more about them on our sponsor link as well at uh, phoneboothfighting.com. All right, Frank, Matt Hughes is talking about fighting again. <laughs> Did you hear about this? No. All right, so he is talking about fighting again. He, uh, well, sort of. He did. Uh, is he going to be part of the Legends League? Uh, well, yeah, if, uh, if, if uh, Bellator's putting a Legends League together. So here's, here's the way this story went. Oh, down. wait a minute. So he got cut by UFC, and now he's like, well, I'm going to go ahead and go and fight for. Uh... Yeah, you can see where this is going. Now, so here's, here's, uh, the, here's the report. Um, Matt did Joe Buck's show, and uh, he has a, like a TV show. And the first thing is, I think they're taping for season three, which is going to air like in the fall of this year. So that's kind of weird when you're taping that far ahead with a fighter. I mean, it's like you could, it seems like the interview could be really obsolete by the time you went on the air with it. But anyway, um, so he apparently said during that interview that he would consider coming back if he knew for sure there was an opponent that he could he could defeat. Uh, and a lot of people are thinking, oh, maybe a rematch with Hoist Gracie because Hoist is, you know, signed up with Bellator right now. Uh, first of all, what do you think about that idea, about the idea of him coming back if he were to do it? I think he would probably be successful at it. I mean, the guy was always a really good athlete. I don't know him. I mean, I, I know Matt. If we see each other, you know, backstage, yeah. we say hi, talk for a few minutes. I've always liked him. He's a, he's a very nice guy. Um, but I haven't been in the gym with him, so I don't know if he's one of those guys that's heavily injured. Uh, you know, if his body's beat up, I don't know. Um, so, I mean, if he's relatively healthy, uh, I mean, the guy, I mean, one of the attributes that he had, you know, besides just being super tough was the guy was ungodly strong, pound for pound. Almost everybody I ever talked to that rolled with him or had fought against him talked about how just, you know, when he just grabbed your wrist, it just it hurt, you know. And so I think everybody who knows sports knows that, you know, uh, strength and power are one of the last things to leave an athlete. And so he's still going to be as, as strong as ever. And, uh, you know, and his technique was always super sharp with grappling. I mean, his jujitsu and, and his wrestling and, you know, and his standup led into that very well. It wasn't like he was ever a sitting duck. Uh, and so I think that he would actually, I mean, barring not fighting somebody who's, you know, a top two or three guy in the world, you know, uh, him making a comeback against somebody else who's also a veteran, who's not any longer inside the, you know, the pinnacle of their career. I think that's, uh, you know, Matt's a very dangerous guy. He hasn't, uh, he hasn't fought since 2011. He officially retired in 2013. That Hoist Gracie fight was at UFC 60 back in May of 2006. But he told Joe Buck that he is, quote, in talks to fight again. And uh, that uh, it uh, sources, this is on uh, MMAfighting.com, uh, according to their sources, say that uh, Matt Hughes, who's 43 uh, now, by the way, has been uh, talking to uh, Bellator about the idea of, uh, of fighting. Well, um, yeah, I actually think he would do really well. I think it'd be great for Bellator. I mean, uh, 
he's a name guy. The only thing that strikes me, I mean, when he retired, was that his last fight on his contract? Or did he still have a contract with the UFC for another fight and then retired? Hmm. I wonder if that could come back to... to Interesting. Do you know what I mean? Because if you yeah. retire and there's a fight on your contract, you come out of retirement, uh, the UFC might come back and say, well, hold on a second. Right. You know, you still had a fight or two, but you retired, you know? That's interesting. I'm not sure about that. I don't, I don't remember the details either. If, um, you know, to me, the first thing that, that came to... What was to, his last fight? Was it Tiago Alves? Uh, is that right? I have to look that up. You look at you got a free uh, phone over there if you don't mind. Mine's busy running the uh, the live stream. Um, you know the thing that came to my mind about this though. I mean, regardless for a second of you know whether or not he's he's going to be uh, competitive, is he had that executive vice president deal with uh, the UFC, like Chuck Liddell had. It was you know rumored to be a six-figure job that was largely symbolic. Oh, he fought a couple times after Tiago Alves. Uh, he, he then came back. He beat Matt Serra, beat Henzo Gracie, beat Ricardo Almeida, and then he lost to BJ Penn, and then his last fight was a loss to Josh Koscheck. Oh, was Koscheck, that's what it was. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, that's right. I think right. he got knocked down in the second round or the end of the first. That, was that Koscheck's last win? Yeah, it was the... Last second of the first round. Yeah. I don't know. There you go. Here, Wikipedia trivia. Yeah, Was that yeah. Josh Kosick's last win? Yeah, I know it's, it's been a while right for Josh. Um, well, the thing that came to my mind while you're looking that up. Second to last win. There you go. Matt Hughes was a win, and then he fought Mike Pierce. And then since then, he lost one, two, three, four, five, six fights. Okay. Well, the thing that came to my mind about this was, you know, Hughes – Chuck Liddell, Forrest Griffin, you know, they had the the uh, vice president, executive vice president deal. Holy shit. If Bellator gets Chuck Liddell to fight. Well, no, this is where I'm, this is where I'm going with this, okay? That, that, you guys are Chuck Liddell and get Tito to come back out of retirement? No, listen. This, <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Is like the UFC had, and I know this was positioned, and, and, and I, I, I think, you know, truthfully so, as like, you know, they're wanting to take care of these lifelong company guys and all this. But there's also a little bit of an insurance policy factored in there, right? What you're doing is if you pay... Chuck Liddell, Matt Hughes, Forrest, for that matter. You know, Forrest is still getting paid because he's. I think he's a little more involved uh, on the yeah. day. He he shows up to work. I saw him at UFC 209, so he's out Quite there. He's out there working. But with with Hughes and Liddell, you're paying them a six figure annual uh, income, and so what you do is you let them age out of that deal. Like, well, like, by paying somebody, you take away their drive. That, yeah. No, because these guys have both won titles multiple times. They're yeah. successful. So I don't think the itch to go out there and prove themselves is yeah. ever going to be a problem. But you get an athlete who's still able to perform and make money, and now he's not making money. Well, now there's incentive. That's you know, it's like, okay, well, yeah. well, shit, honey, you know, the bills are behind. We can't go on vacation at the end of the month you know what, I, I can go take a fight again. You know, I could go fight. And it's like, oh, yeah, but if you pay a guy, then you take out that incentive and that that urge to possibly step back in there and fight. Well, you do that, and then let me flip it around for a second because I'm sure there's there's some people, because there's, I mean, that is true, but there's another side of it where, because some people are probably hearing that and going, yeah, but, you know, if you're, if you're not hurting for money, then you're probably not thinking that way. But you might, just the competitive side of you might want to do it, but... 
if you're getting six figures a year not to fight, so you have to go tell your wife, listen, I want to take another fight, and by the way, I have to forfeit the six figures, then they're probably not going to be on board with that. So to me, what you're doing is you're, as a company, the UFC was, yeah, taking care of guys who deserve to be taken care of, but at the same time, uh, buying themselves an insurance policy that these guys are going to stay company guys. I mean, I think you would have been somebody that had this new ownership uh, thing not happen and all that would have probably uh, been in line for something like this at some point because they probably would have liked to have seen you fight out your entire career in the UFC. And then for the remaining, I mean, let's say you even fought into your early 40s, you know, for the remaining seven years, eight years, let's just keep going until you're literally physically too old to even think about it. And that, you know, is worth the money that they paid you to make sure that somebody like Bellator wasn't able to trade off of a legend's name. And and with this, it seems like that's kind of what they're opening themselves up for, right? Yeah, that's huge. If Bellator goes out, I mean, they already have uh, Hoist under contract. Uh, I think they Henzo's still out there, too. I mean, mm-hmm. there's quite a few matchups that I think people, especially hardcore MMA fans, jiu-jitsu fans, would find extremely intriguing. And, you know, Matt Hughes has a very recognizable name, and he hasn't even been active for the last five, six years. You already got two pieces to the puzzle in, uh, I know Tito said he's done, but, you know, you you still got Tito now able to fight for Bellator. Uh, you got Hoyce in that fold over there with uh, the, the Shamrock fight that he just fought. You bring in Hughes, and then, like I said, there you just said, if you could tempt Chuck Liddell into coming back. I mean, it doesn't matter how old they are. It doesn't matter that it's not going to be anything like it was. All that's going to matter is the ratings it's going to do on Spike TV, and I think those guys over there have proven. We would be watching. Yeah, we would. We'd be talking about it. I mean, it's... uh, It hasn't even occurred when we're talking about it. It just seems like, and 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 you know, we've had this this WME IMG discussion uh, a number of times here on the show. And to, to be honest, I don't know. For all I know, there's a couple of guys in that company that are lifelong UFC fans, and they know even the most obscure names. But my instinct, Frank, is that these are all accounting decisions. It's we paid a lot of money for this company. We need to lower costs. We need to try to make back some of this money as quickly as we can. So everything is probably translating as it does in the corporate world to that kind of shorter term picture as opposed to longer term. And what's getting lost in the mix is, oh, you mean if we only pay out this guy for another four or five years and have him be a brand ambassador, then we don't have to worry about him trading on a legendary name over at our rivals organization. I think I think there's just some um, – I think there's some softballs being tossed their way. Well, I, 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 you actually pointed it out where I think sometimes we talked about my case, where I, I think that a lot of the people from the WME now, I don't think they were necessarily fans of the MMA or the UFC in particular before that. So I think that it'd be kind of like if you went overseas and bought a soccer team. Mm-hmm. Do you really know who the legends are and and who represents what? And even if a guy's not necessarily a legend, but like like a Stephen Bonner, mm-hmm. Stephen Bonner never won a title, mm-hmm. but he's still an integral integral part of the history of the UFC and he's his a fight. Hall of Famer, right off the fight, you know, yeah. and then off of himself, you know, uh, and so uh, 
guys like that don't understand that how well can you really position and make decisions that are you know i mean it can't just all be calculated on a piece of paper through an accounting office there has to be also a, an understanding of what people represent on an emotional or sentimental level and i and it seems to me that that's the part that's drastically missing which draws me to the conclusion that i stated in the first place is that i don't even know if those guys are fans of mma to begin with yeah, I, you know... I, it wouldn't surprise me if they were like, if you sat there and go, hey, do you know who Stefan Bonner is? If most of them were like, who? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know either, and, and I want to be fair to them because I, it's not like I can tell you definitively. I've, I haven't ever even talked to any of the no. people in the new ownership, so it's not like I can tell you, yeah, I talked to them, and they didn't have any clue who we were talking about. Me neither. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, but it just stands to reason, though, that because I'm sure uh, if if he was asked or you know to give input, I'm sure Dana White would have said, "Listen, you know we there's a there's an advantage to having these guys locked up with us, you know, kind of post retirement uh, with these brand ambassador deals, just to uh, see them run out their 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 literal shelf life." And uh, I don't know, maybe uh, it's just Matt Hughes is, uh, like you said, I think the only bigger uh, legend's name that's out there that they could, uh, you know, that would be associated as a lifelong UFC company, man. I mean, you're talking about there's you, uh, Matt, and then Chuck Liddell. They're all out there. Did you uh, now? Where have you been, Frank? That's uh, you know, the last couple of episodes we had to do uh, with you on uh, FaceTime and me here. So fill everybody in on where you've been the last couple of weeks, because it's it's it seems like it's been forever that we've uh, since we've been here at Stately Mirror Manor back together. Well, in just, uh, the last week I was in Manchester. Yeah, uh, different parts there. I was in Leeds, uh, Rotten. Was it Rottendale? No, Rottendale. Shit. Birmingham. I did a seminar out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to drive around, which was kind of interesting because uh, I got off the plane and immediately, you know, uh, I checked my itinerary and it's like, well, you know, just go to the, you know, the rental car place and rent a car. I'm like, wow, man, talk about, you know, hit the, the floor running. So I had to, you know, use my phone and, uh, you know, Google where I was going, got the car and uh, immediately, you know, it wasn't so much even driving. I keep telling everybody, oh, the wrong side of the road. I'm like, yeah, you know, that takes a little concentration. But the most odd part about driving is driving on the right side of a vehicle oh right yeah because i mean now you're even turning around corners a couple times like i'm climbing sidewalks now because <laughs> i'm like oh yeah i gotta give myself more space on a left-hand turn now because yeah that's now what a right-hand turn you know what i mean like just yeah just the the, uh, the geometry of how you move the vehicle around was it was off yeah um and so you you are here tonight and then you're leaving again tomorrow Right, so we'll go on a little bit of vacation with the family, mm-hmm. and then uh, after that, I'm going to uh, get off the boat. They'll come back home. I'm. It's in the works right now. I don't know. We'll find out if it goes through for flight-wise. Kazakhstan, uh, Duchesne, Kazakhstan, and then uh, I'll be there for a day or two doing an ACB, and then I'll fly back actually to Millersville, uh, Maryland, mm. and I'll be uh, doing a seminar out there on the Sunday. Is that a direct flight from Kazakhstan to no. Millersville, Maryland? No, no, they don't dir- do direct? no, no direct flight, so I'll oh. be bouncing around. Yeah. Uh, the good thing is I just got a frequent flyer mile thing, finally started consolidating my flights, and mm. Uh, I'm moving my way up the program, so then uh, I'll be home for a couple days, and then possibly heading back out to Russia again at the end. 
Wow. You're going to a country that has Stan in the end. That yeah. makes me a I little nervous. I got to be honest. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Anytime they have Stan at the end, yeah. you got to ask the question. The yeah. good thing is is that the guys that bring you out there are fans of the sport and some yeah. fans of MMA. So, you know, hopefully if, uh, you, know, uh, you know, martial arts seems to transcend uh, national boundaries yeah so uh you it's know. the international language a lot of people think yeah. that's love but it's actually not it's mma it's mma yeah all right so uh yeah you're gonna be uh tra- you know we had a uh we had a funny moment here in the phone booth fighting bunker last night if i can uh share this uh frank was uh uh was was sitting in this very chair uh clearly jet lagged you know a little kind of weaving in and out of it as i was putting up lights and uh uh, decorating the space and uh, we were going over the schedule because this is something that we have to do with increasing frequency now Franks when you and I get together we just talk about calendars a lot yes. and who's going to be where when this Google and, Calendar thing you have me hooked up with yeah help yeah it's helpful well the the thing is uh, and and this is a little little tip for anybody listening is that uh, fresh off the success of our first ever uh, suspended double bill live stage show with Chael Sonnen, uh, we're going to be doing more of those, more live dates in more cities. And so now, uh, in addition to everything else that we're doing that keeps us busy, we got to start planning a, a, a tour, essentially, a couple of dates at a time. So uh, we're really having to coordinate on calendars on that. But, but Frank is sitting here in this chair, and he looks at he, – he says – well, you know, when, like, once I leave on the cruise, I'm never coming back. That's exactly the words you said. Now, what you meant was you're going directly from Miami, where the cruise uh, uh, unloads, to Russia, right? Yeah. I took this to mean you were leaving your wife and three children, and you were confessing this to me inside our... But I was like, Frank, hold on. I need. Let me talk to you for a minute. Just wait a second. Wait a minute. I forgot to tell Jen about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. it, it was only for a second, but I was... I wonder why you gave me that look. Yeah. Like your eyes got real big and you were staring at me. I'm like, what, man? I, I don't have time to come home in between, so I have to fly directly there. And you know, It was something about the way you said it. You're just like, I mean, just so you know. I mean, I'm never coming back. And you said, that's what you said. <laughs> you I said never? Never coming yeah. back. Yeah. You've got all those things going, Frank. And then on top of all that, you're having to defend your uh, first place spot in Doug Stanhope's Celebrity Death Pool. You yeah. got well, that pressure on I see that I have Stan Lee well. on the list. So when you told me last night that the, uh, the trading round opened, yeah. I'm like, no, nah, I think I got, you know, Stan Lee's just missed the last Comic-Con because of health yeah. reasons and yeah. he's on my list. So. Yeah. <laughs> you're standing pat you're not going to trade anybody away because deadline as we tape uh and, still got and, like another 50 minutes right yeah well actually it's uh it's uh t- for some reason it's it's shuts down at like 2 a.m so we've got like three hours oh, okay yeah i just checked the uh website but uh i'm gonna be looking to make a move i will uh re- i don't want to say who just yet you uh, want to help me out, man? Well, no, I'm no, I can't. No, you need to help me out. It's what you need to be doing. Uh, I'm still on the schneid here, but uh, I know a lot of our listeners are uh, playing along with us, so hopefully they're uh, taking advantage of the 24 hour uh, the 24 hour trade round as well. In Doug's league, which is our uh, our our pay, I can show you the posters for one of the seminars I did. Yeah, they actually put it up there, and also the holder of the fastest kill. <laughs> Really? I swear to God. I got them in my bag somewhere. I'll pull them out after. No kidding? I swear. Where? What's Hold seminar? on. If you don't know what we're talking about, um, 
both of us, Frank and I, play in uh, comedian Doug Stanhope's Celebrity Death Pool League. And we've got a phone booth fighting league that like a hundred of you guys are in, uh, that are playing in. But uh, Frank and I also play in Doug's uh, little uh, private league. And uh, I really thought oh, it was cool the guy did that. This is amazing. <laughs> Well, and then at first when they go, hey, is this cool? Can we put this out? I'm like, yeah. And then I almost thought about calling back and saying, no, man, don't do that. Because someone's going to misread that and think that like I actually have the fastest kill or something. Like I've killed somebody. Yeah. You know, me and kill jokes don't seem to work over too yeah. well. Yeah. So. All right. So I'm going to. Okay. So you know what? We posted. We posted, we posted, yeah, posted. this. I just didn't read the fine print. Nice. I didn't read through it because it says is Frank Mirror, big headlines. And then underneath that, it says. Decorated jiu-jitsu black belt under Ricardo Perez. Record for most fights, victories, and submissions in UFC heavyweight history. Fourth most UFC victories overall. The only person to win a UFC bout by toehold. The longest uninterrupted tenure of any fighter in UFC history. The first man to knock out and submit Antonio Rodrigo Noguera. And the fastest kill in celebrity death pool history. This is genius. Wow, we got to find out who did. Do you know the artist that did this? Yeah, he was at the seminar. And oh. I, have the, I can get it, his name. All right, put me into. We will give him a proper plug next week, and then I want a hard copy of uh, one of those. I got him in my bag. Oh, good. Okay, a Brazilian soccer team has signed a goalkeeper who just got done serving seven years for murdering his ex girlfriend and feeding her body to his dogs. Now, yeah. you can only get seven years for that? That's uh, some Hannibal Lecter shit. He was released on a technicality. Uh, he served uh, seven years. His name is Bruno Fernandez de Souza. And, uh, I mean, a technicality as far as like how they handled the evidence. He didn't really do it, or did he really do it? And oh, he did it. Uh, he did it. Uh, he, um, he, had for, he, had, he had. What did she do? <laughs> All right, well, let's see if we can get to the bottom of that. Let me just let me give you his pedigree first, okay? Uh, he's 32 years old now. Uh, he had previously played with one of Brazil's most famous clubs called Flamengo, and uh, he was uh, set to be on the, the 2014 World Cup team. He was convicted in 2010, or he was arrested, and then he was convicted... So I guess, okay, he was sentenced to 22 years in jail. He was released last month on a technicality while his lawyers prepare an appeal. So Wait a minute. It wasn't as, am I reading that correct? Go back down again. Mm -hmm. It was some woman that had his baby, and so him and nine other people, including his yes. ex-wife, yes. all killed her? It's very confusing. The ex-wife apparently was not convicted. But he had he had a girlfriend, and then he had his ex-wife, and then some other folks, and they were all accused of torturing and murdering this woman who was trying to get uh, child support out of him. That's the uh, that's the rap. But the team now this is this is interesting. Like how the team uh, defends this. The team is being faced well, he with a his uh, time to society. Exactly. You know, <laughs> we all deserve a second chance. Uh, the, uh, the team is being the, uh, they found themselves the subject of an online petition who, uh, of folks who are objecting to this, uh, this roster move. It's, uh, gotten some 35,000 signatures. And I was just thinking like, uh, you know, I know I, I rail against this stuff because of, you know, Michael Vick and, and some other, you know, Ray Rice and some other types over, over here stateside. Um, 
is there just nothing? Like, is there just nothing that someone can't do that somewhere in the world they will overlook if you've got some athletic talent? Well, not even just that. Even if you have... I mean, I can make Michael Jackson jokes all day long. I've been mm-hmm. at Disneyland, mm-hmm. and they redid his Neo show. Yeah. Or Captain EO. Yeah. I don't think anybody is going to doubt that he didn't touch little kids. Well, but let me, and, and in fairness. So, I know, mean, but you can touch little kids if you can sing and dance like a mofo. Yeah, well. So, I mean, that yeah. just goes, I mean, I don't think it's just, yeah. I don't think it's uh, reserved to just athletics, but I think anytime someone's exceptional at stuff, yeah. we do afford them leniencies in, in other areas of life. And and th- that doesn't just start at a, when they, they crash against the wall. I mean, that starts probably once their talent has been identified, they're allowed uh, extra privileges in life. And then they, they format their brain to be that kind of thinker that goes, well, I'm really good at X, Y, or Z. So that allows me to get away with this. And so then we wonder why some of those individuals that have been treated like they're above everybody else, that they act like they're above everybody else. Well, see, by the letter of the law, too, like I'll even give you um, conviction, like I'll, I'll, I'll draw the line at convictions, right? Because, I mean, yeah, okay, you can be suspicious of people who have uh, settled things out of court or whatever, but just in the interest of, of being accurate, I'll even give you, okay, well, if someone technically is not convicted, then maybe you can make a case that, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're allowing them to, to play or continue to work for us uh, based on that. But geez, if you've gone to prison for something, I mean, it's like, you know, it's pretty brutal too. I mean, Look, no one's perfect. We all make mistakes. And I guess we can get into a really huge argument about the details of one being worse than the other. But I don't think it's that far-fetched to try to draw the line in the sand and go, okay, look, cheating on the taxes, maybe even cheating on your wife. Like, these are all horrible things. But if, you know, you can make maybe come back from this, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, an amends. Uh, But ending someone's life after torturing them, uh, who's pregnant, um, that seems pretty far past the line that I would draw that you're allowed to come back from. It's certain things. It's like, no, uh, you had that in you to be able to do that. That says something about you on a level that like, you know, I think most of us, you know, uh, would never be able to do under the most extreme, sur- I mean, barring that they weren't standing over a loved one with a knife ready to plunge it in their my chest. I don't think I could ever bring myself to torture and murder somebody well and how about this too there's a humanity i think that most people carry with them that doesn't allow them to do that well and how about this too if if you are one of the greatest soccer players in a civilized country like brazil that that considers that their number one sport so obviously you're one of the most revered athletes and you're presented with the possibility of having to pay some child support, and your finances are not in order enough that your first thought isn't, well, this is going to suck, but okay. Your first thought is, okay, I think the the more prudent move (laughs) would be to dismember this person and save some cash. How many I mean... We've heard that before in other our sports here, North American, uh, you know, our uh, football. Yeah, uh, it's happened uh, before. It's not an unheard of story of killing off uh, a pregnant girlfriend that someone's afraid of. Oh, like Ray Caruth, remember that guy? Yeah, Carolina exactly. Panthers uh, wide receiver, right? Yeah. Uh, 
so uh, here's my thought process that really makes this extremely morbid for me is that um, this was only, you know, DNA testing. Uh, so if this was just a woman making uh, uh, claims for child support and they were unfounded, um, it gets dismissed pretty soon, right? Uh, the fact that he decided to torture and kill her uh, meant that it probably was his baby. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it was his kid. Mm-hmm. So you killed your unborn child that was being carried by another woman, you know, like, whoa. Like, so, I mean, to me, that's like the different factors that I I consider baseline acceptable human traits uh, you no longer possess to me. So, like, to me, it's like, no, I mean, you didn't cheat on a test at school, you know, you know, when you were young, did you maybe get into drugs or, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, there's things that people can screw up on. I mean, we all, you know, I mean, did you get behind the wheel of a car and you, you, you drank more than you probably should have? Okay. So, you know, let's not do that again. You know, you can come back from it. Um, but when you, you know, knowingly and thoughtfully dismember, yeah the uh your unborn child basically how about this fact that the, out of the whole group of nine there's not one person that just has the good common sense to say to this guy you know probably the best scenario is for you to kill yourself that yeah. would probably be what would work out best for everybody involved it's scary about mob mentality right yeah people just start going nuts that's why a group of people scare me you know that's actually one of the biggest reasons why i carry a firearm hmm. because i feel that once you get humans in a big enough group they become animalistic like they become as dangerous as a feral animal just like i would carry a gun if i had to go backpacking through the woods if there's groups of humans i feel like i need a gun because people so, you know, we see it all the time uh, during you know riots where you, you know, I wish you could almost grab somebody and snap them out of their trance but mm-hmm. people see people starting to throw punches or throw rocks or go nuts and it's like they get they get uh, uh, you know taken up in the uh, in the momentum of the situation and they stop thinking they just become mm-hmm. part of the tribe and they become mindless animals and to me it's like you know that's uh, scary prospect does it make you nervous specifically to that point when you're in a large group of people and you're you 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 know you ha- you're having to go through a metal detector like a, a concert sporting event that kind of stuff like knowing you know you're not armed the way you normally would be <laughs> knowing that you only have a minimal number of <laughs> rounds. weapons yeah <laughs> yeah uh yeah just because uh once again you know uh if the power like i tell people that all the time like you know look you know you know i think some people take the whole prepper thing you know it could be a little extreme you know but i think anything can become extreme Mm -hmm. if you let anything consume your life 24 hours out of the day i think it can become unhealthy but i think a certain healthy level of just kind of awareness that hey you know if shit hits the fan what is my uh you know uh what is my escape plan? You know, yeah. you know, do I have three different, you know, the rules of three, like, okay, I have three different ways I'm going to get water, you know, food, you know, survival. And, uh, you know, and people think, well, you live in a city at the power. I'm like, look, man, if something happens and the, and the storm hits and the power goes out for three days, mm-hmm. people start looting they start going nuts. You see it in different situations throughout the civilized world, not even talking about uncivilized areas where, you know, humans, humans are kind of like cats. We go feral pretty fast. You know, we would like to think that we're all kind of, you know, uh, social, uh, you know, the paradigm will stay the same, but Mm -hmm. nope. Yeah. 
Yeah. You get people stressed out and in a group and they make some rash decisions. Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask you your thought. We have not, uh, yeah, it seems like it's been weeks since we've, we've really had a chance to discuss anything, uh, uh, political. Uh, yeah. Come on back in here, Ian. Frank's uh, friend, Ian from, uh, Southern California is sitting in the, uh, bunker, uh, with us is a one man studio audience tonight. Um, first of all, do you realize that we are only seven weeks into this presidential administration? I don't think I've ever been since I've been of age to even be aware of news and, and, and politics. I've never been so uh, aware of the president's actions on a day-to-day basis. Uh, even when Obama or George W. Bush or, you know, Clinton and, and, and even, you know, I, I think I started really realizing uh, uh, with the first Bush, you know, uh, you know, who the president was, you mm-hmm. know, and what his responsibilities were. But still, you know, uh, I could go months without thinking about the mm-hmm. president, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> and it seems like every day, I mean, I can't be at the gym and see a CNN, you know, okay, Trump, you know, uh, towers were, were, you know, we still can't find out if they were tapped or not. It's unsubstantiated, but he says they were tapped. And then, and not just one or two themes, but it's almost hard to keep up with how many storylines yes, are going on at once. Like, I mean, he, he's part of three different separate yeah. headlines, you know, Russian hacking, uh, you know, a travel band, uh, wiretapping. I mean, uh, go down the list i'll tell you what happened to me the other day and i you know you know how closely i follow all this stuff is we were so waist deep into russian hacking and uh wiretapping and all the rest of that somebody made reference to and then you know two weeks ago there was the three to five million people voted illegally and i thought to myself oh i forgot all about that one I totally forgot about that one i think it's a psycho whether it's intentional or not, I don't know. If it's intentional, it's, mm-hmm. it's fucking genius. <sighs> but it's kind of like we're fighting, and I'm just throwing a lot of yes. shit at you. Yeah. Punch after kick after yeah. takedown. If I have the endurance to keep it up, eventually something's going to slip through, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's all this smoke screen and there's so much volume that I think that people uh, tune it out. Where if I stood perfectly still in front of you, I even just adjust my shoulder a little bit and you're like aware of it. Okay. You know, you, 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 uh, you orientate to it, you know, you observe, orientate, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, uh, I think that the way that his, uh, you know, I don't know who's doing it or who would be behind it, but the fact that it's so much information flooded, you can't keep track. I mean, really it's almost like a full-time job to keep up with what's going on in the news with specifically with Trump. And it seems like it'll get to the point to where, um, like anything else, it's kind of like, again, it's like the bad kid in class. He's always acting up. Eventually, I think the stu- the teacher tunes him out mm-hmm. to a certain level until they, you know, they, they obviously, there's a certain acclimation to like, okay, this is his normal level of chaos and fuck, I'll just deal with that. Where you have the really good student in class, all of a sudden does one thing wrong and you zero in on it because that's so out of the ordinary. Yeah. So I think that there's also that, that, that theme of just like, I mean, he could do some crazy stuff and I don't think anybody's going to, uh, you know... It's we're we're living in a completely different time, and the fact that you know there was a there's a moment in the uh, in the waning days of the Nixon administration. Keep in mind that you know he was reelected before Watergate really came to a head. It was kind of starting to all happen as he was going into his second term. But um, 
you know, there was a moment where it was clear about halfway through that second term that, you know, the jig was up. And he was asked in the White House briefing room by a reporter, uh, you know, about his distrust of, of the media or lack of respect for him. And Nixon said, uh, well, I, you know, in order for me to uh, uh, be annoyed by you, I would have to respect you. And there is an audible gasp in the room. Like you hear the press corps go, <gasps> like that was the wildest thing they had ever heard a president say. And up until this point, it kind of was, right? And now, I mean, I, what I wanted to ask you about specifically is your thoughts on this wiretapping thing. Because I don't think this one's going away. I think that, you know, this was 10, 11 days ago. It was a Saturday morning, I think. You got up and looked at Twitter, and there's like these four tweets. Where do you Trump. know that I can't tell the difference between when people put fake tweets of Trump up, uh-huh. you know, and they, and they yeah. Photoshop it and it'll say something. Yeah. I have to actually now research yeah. and go, wait a minute, did he really say that, or are you guys pulling my? You know what I mean? Sure. Like, is that a clever? <laughs> and the, that's the crazy thing is you can't just rule it out because it looks absurd. Right? I immediately can't tell. No, no. But uh, you know uh, that. So when that series of four tweets came out, which said, you know, I just found out that Obama. Uh, wiretapped me at Trump Tower. He said, you know... That honestly was one that I thought was fake. Yeah, yeah, right. I thought yeah. someone had... Because I didn't see it on the Twitter feed. Yeah. Someone had posted an image on one of the uh, social sites I go to that post pictures yeah. and whatnot. Uh, and uh, I, I lurk on Imager. Yeah. And so someone had put it up there and I was like, that's not real, you know? Yeah. And then I look on it I'm like, oh shit, that's real. Yeah, yeah. Now that one, you know, a lot of this stuff is... Just kind of uh, here today, gone tomorrow. It's like you said, he'll he'll move on to something else wild. And but this one, I think, is one that first of all, I I think he just wasn't taking into consideration all the people that this was going to alienate. Like for starters, the FBI. Let me tell you something: picking a fight with the intelligence community is not a real smart thing to do because those are the people who, at any given time, when they need to, they've got all your stuff. So if you're an angel, if you're squeaky clean, then I guess you really have nothing to worry about. Yeah, but there are things get leaked. Yeah, but how about accusing them? I mean, think about what you're you're accusing them of doing. I mean, you're not only accusing Barack Obama, you're accusing you know the the sitting FBI director of malfeasance. I mean, you're really making some wild accusations there, right? And so this appeared to be the kind of thing that you know maybe they were hoping was going to go away after a couple of days, like all the rest of the stuff did, but. This one looks like it's not going away. And so what you're starting to have is people on both sides of the aisle, like the ranking Republican on the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee today, saying, who was a Trump supporter, you know, in the election, saying there's no evidence of this, you know. Uh, And then people who have it out for him to begin with, like Lindsey Graham, going, oh, you know what, we'll get to the bottom of this, trust me. No, we're going to look into this because we couldn't have something like this happen. And, of course, what he's really doing is, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, don't worry, I'll I'll keep digging until we show you up. And it's like, but what I wonder is if, you know, ultimately if enough people are going to care. I guess that's what I was going to ask your thoughts on. When I say enough people, I mean, see, to me, Trump is in this for – a different reason than most people would ever be in it politically because he, he's just focused on his base, right? Now the base isn't necessarily going to get him reelected. So what he's, but what he's doing is in my mind is long after 
you know, somebody is a voter, they can continue to be a customer. I think he's building a customer base. It's kind of like what Sarah Palin did. You know, Sarah Palin's never going to serve in office again. Sarah Palin, uh, you know, the, 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 the heat got hot uh, on the political side of things. She bowed out of that, resigned early as governor. But what she continued to have was this sort of base following. So if she puts out a, she, a, a podcast or a cookbook or a reality show or whatever, she's going to have that loyal customer base. And it seems like, I mean, most people, when they're president, they're thinking about this is the last job I'm ever going to have. I think he's thinking about, you know, these are these are future Trump brand customers and present Trump brand customers. And and by by doing what I'm doing, I'm really just kind of uh, congealing those folks together. What do you think? I mean, do you think that that this is going to just go the way of all these other things? Or is this maybe finally the bridge too far? You know, the, the wiretap thing. Yeah, it's rough because uh, you're right. I mean, the accusation that you're making is on some pretty serious uh, uh, pillars of our government. You know, the yeah. FBI. You know, the uh, Justice Department, and not yeah. just not just Democrats. I mean, you're having people who are like, "Whoa, whoa! You're you're talking about my job here. Like, you're talking about wow. my integrity. Or you're you're accusing me of you know taking an oath to my country, and well, then uh, I guess the part that I'm still trying to figure it? out is. Unless you had solid proof, what was the point? It's well, not like you're ever running against Obama again, right? right I mean, right. Uh, well, and see, I think that's kind of the thing is it's like so many of these things are just it's it's kind of like if you don't teach a uh, you know a kid that there's serious consequences to actions, then of course they're going to just sort of continue with whatever uh, actions they've been able to get away with up to a point. And I also think that this may have something to do with not really understanding the inner workings of government on his part, because the president can't do that. The president legally cannot order a wiretap. Justice Department, FBI, they have to do that. And they are intentionally shielded from the executive branch uh, so that the president can't get involved in anything uh, shady. And so, yeah, if, if Obama did that, that would be without a doubt a crime. But if what he's talking about is what they call a FISA warrant, which is if one of the intelligence uh, agencies went to the secret FISA court and said, hey, we have evidence that we need to be tapping this phone, and they showed it to a judge, and a judge issued a warrant for it, number one, that would be legal, and number two, that would almost be worse for Trump because that would mean that there was just cause that a judge looked at it and said, there's a reason to look at this. Yeah. But then going back again, you didn't answer really. Yeah. What would be the point of Trump even making this accusation? Oh, right. Well, like, I, I, I don't get, yeah. I mean, unless you have solid proof and you going to, uh, even then, if I had proof that they wiretapped, if I was Trump and I saw the battle that it would incur and, yeah. and, and I don't know. What's I just, his motivation? Yeah, I guess I just didn't understand that part. Like that's the part that I think's kind of lost. That or for me is mm -hmm. is what do you have to gain? Well, I think that you know he maybe, and it's tough to get inside his mind. But I mean, maybe the thought process, at least at that moment, was uh, that if I, you know, uh, for example, he doesn't want the focus on the uh, the connections to Russia. 
right? And all of that talk was going on at that, still is obviously, but all that talk was going on at that time. So maybe if you try to shift the focus to Obama where you know your base didn't like him and you're saying, you know, look at what I just found out. So we're all right? at a party and you're like, hey, nice hat. And you're getting made fun of. You're like, yeah, but look but look at Jimmy's T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Try to distract. and just uh, or, or maybe just like the heat is on me, right? The heat is on me. I'm being looked at really, really closely. And, you know, let's say my fans are not your fans, right? We, we, uh, you're my predecessor and, uh, everybody, you know, if they supported me, they didn't support you and vice versa. Then if, if whatever this scandal is that I'm tied to, if I can start going, you know who I just found out I had a big hand in this is Frank Mayer. I found out he's waist deep in this investigation. He's in bed with all the people who are out to get me. He used his power in the waning days of his administration to come down. I mean, see, now I'm making myself sound like a victim. Like I'm setting it up so that whatever comes down on me, maybe my base will go, oh, yeah, but, you know, that was all Frank Mears doing. That was all the former president's doing. Okay. I this is an idea, you know. So then, then they can start to already maybe uh – lay groundwork for plausible deniability. But I think that it just wasn't very well thought through because I think what he was thinking was this will just, you know, look, this is red meat for my base to come down on Obama. And I think probably what he wasn't thinking was like how, you know, James Comey, the FBI director, who at times has been his friend, is all of a sudden going to go, hey, dude, uh, what did what are you accusing me of here? You know, because, yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, you're you're essentially accusing multiple parties and multiple agencies of something very un-American. Isn't that Watergate all over again? Absolutely. Wouldn't that be exactly yes. what yes. Nixon was yes. impeached for? And, and yes, and that is why... Wiretapping or... That's <laughs> right, that's right. That is why many of those, you know, those divisions of, of branches of power exist now. And, you know, James Comey's got to be looking at this going, you know, hey, are, you know, are, are, you're, you're, you're basically likening me to J. Edgar Hoover over here, putting taps on everybody. You know, that's... That's a, a bygone era. I'm I'm cleaner than that or whatever. So anyway, I just think it's 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 very interesting to watch. And when I think about the fact that it has only been seven weeks, it is really, really intense. It's really crazy. And I just wonder I what I wonder is because I don't think it's built to last, so I don't think that this I think the conflicts of interest or something gets him before the the term is up and he steps down. But I just wonder. Really? Yeah, I do. I'm convinced of it now. I don't think so. I think, I think it's all set up perfectly for Pence, uh, who is the establishment guy. That's the one the Republicans want. And, uh, I think that, uh, yeah, I think it's no, I don't, I'm not saying it's happening in a matter of weeks or months. Right. I'll tell you what though. Certainly, after the midterm elections, if if the if the Republicans lose one, let alone two houses of Congress, then he's a lame duck, because whatever house they lose, the 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 Congress or the the Senate, the Democrats then go, hey, it's full on roadblock now. Nothing gets by us because we can you know kill yeah. it all off right here. Then I think the Republicans look at it and go, okay, the guy's gotten too toxic. 
he's of no use to us anymore. Move him out of the way. Let's move old friendly Mike Pence in, you know, and everybody will breathe a big sigh of relief. Like, okay, we got an adult in here now. Everything would be okay. You know, the world's 6,000 years old. (laughs) Exactly. No, that's what I'm saying. We'll be okay. But normally (laughs) where the focus would be on things like that, even people who would normally be critical of it will be like, they'll have such Trump fatigue. They'll be like, Oh, what a relief. Now we got the uh, the gay conversion therapy guy in there. Oh, God, finally, some common sense. <laughs> well, it's going to give us plenty to talk about here uh, as uh, the show progresses. All right. Do you get a chance to watch any fights this weekend? Just the ones I did. Yeah. Yeah, ACB. What did you think? Uh, ACB card was – there was some really good stuff uh, on there. How's the commentary, yeah. man? Brian. Commentary was great. You and Brian – I actually – I was – I Brian I, uh, Lacey and I uh, – uh, getting pretty smooth. I think you are. I texted you during the fights, and I said that I, I actually thought it was maybe my favorite commentary that the two of you guys had done top to bottom. I think uh, you were really... And if you'd uh, have seen me two hours before that, you'd have yeah. thought it was going to be the worst. Why is that? I just messed up my sleep pattern, and, and, oh. and that night I just could not fall asleep. So I think it was about 7 in the morning when I yeah. finally dozed off. And then uh, had to be up at nine. Yeah. So I had like an hour and a half of sleep and was just dragging. Like so, on the way there, uh, uh, Brian and then uh, Carl Prince, the matchmaker, Princey, yeah. they're driving the car and they're like making jokes. Like you know, you better come to. I'm like, we might need like an IV of uh, an energy drink. Like I'm not talking. Yeah. And then uh, Carl actually did the first uh, like seven or eight fights. And I was gonna go to sleep again in the back room in the green room. I'm sitting back there and I'm just like. I gotta get focused, man. This is this. I can't believe how bad and it was. Just like the travel had caught up to me, yeah. And I just felt like garbage. And I'm like, you know what? Go sit out in the audience. So I went over there, no ticket, just sat in the front row and just sat down and started watching fights. And then my brain just clicked into that mode again. I'm like, if I'm around it, I'll, I'll it'll, it'll I'll, I'll, the parts of my body that are not wanting to, you know, do things right now. I think will click into gear. You know. It is really interesting. You know, you're, it's interesting how your, your intuitive natural skill for the physicality of the fighting has also translated to being able to verbally analyze it. Because it, that, that really makes you a two-tool player in a way that a lot of people aren't. I mean, there's a lot of people who are good at one or the other. Pretty rare for somebody to just be that good at uh, doing both. Is there anything else that you sort of feel like comes naturally to you that you can well, think, think of Well, I think I try to head. make things uh, understandable for uh, for everybody because yeah. I try to make things understandable for me. I realize that in a fight, I'm being hit or I'm tired and the crowd's screaming. Uh, my thought process has to be extremely simple. Yeah. Right? Gross motor skills type motions. You know, it has to be like, well, if I feel your head here, it's either this way or that way. If I feel you pull my leg up, this has to be this reaction because of this, because of that. Um, you know, so I try to make things as, as easy as possible because if it's simple, when I train it and break it down, then I can problem solve with these simple skills. And so I think that's how I commentate. And that's why, I, I don't know if you noticed, but like I, I try not to use words that I know that the the average casual fan would not understand. Mm, that's the opposite of me. 
I use those words so that people can't tell I really don't know what I'm talking well, about. What I mean, not so much maybe uh, I mask my, it with well, my not vocabulary. so much my you know my vocabulary as far <laughs> as descriptions or yeah, but uh, like uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for for naming things? Uh, you know, the terminology mm-hmm. of different techniques. So I think and I, I even sometimes find myself throughout the night. You listen. Sometimes I'll say omoplata, but I'll sit there and go. Shit, you know, not everybody knows what an omoplata is. So I'm like, oh, look, he's wrapping the legs. He's attacking the shoulder with a lock. He's putting leverage on the wrist. He's holding the head down. Whereas I think other people will be like, why doesn't he just call that rubber guard? He's in mission control. Oh, look, he, the other guy snapped up his wrist, and now he's in crackhead control. I'm like, dude, unless you're a 10th planet guy, you have no idea what any of that is. Yeah. Right? So why would I use that? Or same thing if, you know, you well, he hit a bars guard from the, you know, it's like, well, if you wrestled in college, you'll know what I'm talking about. But if you didn't, you know, you're going to be like, what did he just say? You know, yeah. where if I'm like, oh, look, he grabbed, a, you know, he has a head inside single. Now he's running to the front side of his opponent. He's trying to trap his hand with his knee and he's driving across, you know. Mm-hmm. So I try to, I guess, keep it simple. I mean, I mean, obviously I'll still say take a shot or sprawl, but even in that, I try to convey it over as much as possible to make it understandable instead of sitting there and, and, and you know, uh, using terminology that, again, if you're not in a student, you know, or a student of the game, if you don't have a membership at the local jiu-jitsu gym or kickbox, you're kind of confused on what I'm talking about. Well, you make interesting, but like there was a point where I don't remember the specific fight, but it was uh, uh, two guys uh, you pressed up against a cage, and uh, the the guy on the uh, on the outside was uh, using his the one whose back wasn't to the cage was sort of using his 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 head and his shoulders to control his opponent. And you made a point about how you said that. Uh, there would uh, there there are some guys who the guy who had his back to the cage would sort of drop down and then try to I guess sort of like shoulder check the guy's chin and that if yeah. he wasn't really biting down on the mouthpiece yeah. and didn't know it was coming that alone could rattle a guy enough that you could get off the cage right yeah and it's actually moved I think. Uh I was told it was an old-time boxer move, mm-hmm. but I actually, the first time I experienced that was with Randy uh, Couture. Mm-hmm. We were at Extreme Couture, and we were locked up, and obviously Randy had a very uh, formidable clinch, you know, you know, such a strong Greco-Roman background. So, you know, he'd tie up with you. you it was like the pit of hell, you know. Mm-hmm. Just, you couldn't get out of there, and that's one thing that he actually, amongst little tricks that I learned from him, was that anytime you know, like, especially if you back your hips up, your head tilts forward, and it's kind of natural to lay your face on someone's shoulder as you're backing your hips away. And he would just drop his hips about two or three inches and then stand back up, and it would wow. buckle your, you know, I mean, yeah, basically it would just jar you because yeah. you would be, you know, especially the first time you wouldn't be ready for it, and all of a sudden, boom, you get a shoulder to the, underneath your jaw, the guy standing up while you were coming down. Yeah, because I think what I remember you saying about it was that the 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 prelude to it. I mean, what. The, the, the predicate for that happening is the fact that because you're tired, that the guy who rests the, the, his head on the other guy's shoulder is seeing it as an opportunity to rest. And right. it's right then where you can catch a guy kind of literally sleeping for a second or two that you can uh, take advantage. Yeah, and, and because, too, usually, I mean, think about all the steps that lead up to it. If you're in a position where you're, you're locked into a 50-50 or in a clinch, and uh, you know, and you you lay your your head on your opponent's shoulder. If you're taking a break, you're probably not clenching your mouth. Mm-hmm. 
you take a break. What does everybody do when you, you, you get a few seconds to take a breath? You open your mouth. Right. You know, so all of a sudden you get someone who goes, <sighs> they're trying to take those deep breaths to cleanse their body out. Yeah. And now their mouth is open. Yeah. Yeah, that, that sucks. That's a dirty business right there. <laughs> well, I asked if you had seen any fights because uh, there was actually a really good card uh, in Brazil over the weekend. I think uh, well, last week. I did week, get to catch a couple of the end. Yeah, you and I talked about uh, the main event last week, I think, uh, which ended up being uh, Kelvin Gastelum finishing Vitor Belfort yep. pretty quickly in the first round. Did you hear that Kelvin Gastelum's next fight has been made? Yes, I heard. Taking on Anderson Silva in Rio. So uh, what a what an, an opportunistic uh, three months or so it's going to be for Kelvin Gastelum. I mean, he goes from a guy who was struggling just to make weight close enough to be able to compete in a fight at welterweight to beating a legendary name like Vitor Belfort, who was still ranked right around the middle of the top ten of the middleweight division, uh, which I didn't I didn't realize he was still holding ranking that high. Uh, but Gastelum beats him. Now he gets uh, Anderson Silva in Rio. First of all, uh, what do you think about that fight? And then secondly, what does it do for uh, Kelvin Gastelum's trajectory if he were to be able to beat uh, uh, Vitor Belfort and Anderson Silva in the span of about three months. You know what? I'm a fan of Kelvin. I am no longer going to bet against him. And I was one of the guys when we were all on the reality show mm. with John and uh, Chael. Because uh, he was on Chael's team, right? When you were assistant coach on John's? I think he John's. was picked second he was, to last. Or last. I think he was last. He might have. not mistaken. Yeah. I think he was dead last. I, look, man, when those guys were lined up, if you told me right now and put some money on who you think's going to be, I would have never, ever put a cent yeah. in favor of him doing what he's done with his career. You know, we saw a guy that was overweight and just it seemed like, you know, in the house was just eating bad, not worried about weight maintenance and just you're like, well, how serious is he taking this? And then mm -hmm. fight after fight, he just beats everybody. He won the whole show. And, and now just, you know, obviously his weight is, is just an issue. I think that he's just cursed with some bad genetics in that department to mm -hmm. begin with. I think he's kind of in between, you know. Uh, uh, no matter how hard he tries, he's just, you know, barring – you know, drastic measures. He's never going to have a, uh, you know, a, a Woodley type physique, you know? So, uh, you know, I think 185 is a good move for him. I think I even, you know, I think that, uh, we talked to at least he's not cutting a lot of weight. He'll be fresh, you know, and he's a powerful guy who has a good chin and he's, a, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's good wrestling. And so, uh, you know what, man, uh, I think, uh, Anderson has a fight on his hands. You know, when I heard uh, Chael, I was listening to his uh, You're Welcome podcast uh, today. And, of course, you know, he had – you were just talking about the uh, stint on The Ultimate Fighter. He had uh, had Kelvin on his team. And he was saying that he was – he said what he remembered about that, what getting to know Kelvin and coaching him, was that um, he said, I don't – my first thought was, I don't know what he's good at. Like, I can't readily identify what he's really good at. But he said his second thought was he also realized he couldn't readily identify what he was bad at. And so he was just kind of this undefined, you know, uh, uh, athlete. But he said he just quickly realized that what he was good at was fighting. Like, yeah. it was just kind of that simple. Yeah, he's you know? a real true mixed martial artist. He mm -hmm. has good hands. He has, uh, you know, a good grappling game. Uh, his good chin. Uh, good endurance. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, there was times in the fight because uh, I didn't get to watch the first part of the card because when we first finally got back to the uh, hotel, 
my lack of sleep finally caught up to me. Mm-hmm. And so I told everybody, you know, everybody's, you know, we're all eating food and I had a plate of food and, you know, out come the beers. I'm like, you know, I'm going to go lay down in my room for a few minutes. And I passed out for about four hours. And then I jump up and realize, I'm like, you know, well, I was like, oh, I slept too long. So I ran back out there. And then there was just a few guys, uh, Herb Dean, uh, was, uh, uh, Jacob from uh, Kings MMA, uh, the head mm-hmm. coach, uh, he was out there. Uh, a couple of the guys, uh, uh, Lorenz Link, uh, had, had came in, and so um, Lorenz Larkin, yeah, was there. Oh, yeah, it okay. was a, a corner and a guy out there. So, oh, okay. uh, so you know, they, they're all huddled around a a, a, a laptop mm-hmm. watching the fight. So I got to catch it a little bit, and so uh, you know, I was very impressed with Kelvin's uh, uh, performance. You know, and and I thought that he would have to grind. Uh, you know, Vitor up a little bit to mm-hmm. break him, and he beat Vitor at straight striking. Right. Kelvin's in a, uh, he goes, so he's gonna have to go down to Brazil again and fight another legend. Yeah, but he was asking for the fight, though. That's yeah. the one he asked for at the end of the fight. He said, no, Give no. me Anderson in Rio. All right, Frank, it's probably about time for us to put a wrap on this one. We want to remind everybody to go to phoneboothfighting.com. Click through our Amazon banner. If you're shopping on Amazon anyway, please go to phoneboothfighting.com. Click through our Amazon banner. That helps to support the show and doesn't cost you any additional money. You can also get official show merchandise, just like the phone booth fighting shirt that Frank is wearing right this very minute. That's right. We do have two uh, XL sizes. We even go bigger than Frank. We've got a three XL. If uh, we've had a few people order those, uh, so uh, multiple uh, sizes and styles and all the rest of that, as well as some other merchandise, fight posters and the like, uh, at phoneboothfighting.com. All of our social media is there as well, but uh, I'll go ahead and uh, highlight him for you. He is on Twitter and Instagram at the Frank Mir. He's on Facebook at official Frank Mir. Uh, similar to mine, I am official Richard Hunter on Facebook, and I am Richard Hunter on Twitter and Instagram. But uh, if you want to follow the show uh, collectively, Frank is going to tell you all about how you can do that. So if you follow us on Facebook or Instagram, you can follow us at Phone Booth Fighting. And if you're uh, Snapchat or Twitter, Phone Booth Fight. And Frank is uh, Snapchatting more and more these days, yeah. right? Do you enjoy doing the Snapchat? You know what was sad at one time? A couple yeah. funny stories. Were, uh, yeah. I was sitting there, and you had, uh, when I looked at it, I asked you what the... <laughs> passcodes and stuff for it, but yeah. I also asked you what the name of our Snapchat was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, what's it called? Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. I think I say that every time we visit. <laughs> it's like phone booth fight, not ING. Okay. <laughs> for Frank Mir, I'm Richard Hunter. This has been Phone Booth Fighting. We'll see you guys next time. Everybody was But they fought with